Welcome to Minding Our Businesses, where CEO and COO sisters share unfiltered conversation about running three companies together and And the the real real life between it all. All right, episode one. How are we here? Minding Our Businesses. Crazy. I love the name. Me too. So episode one, we are talking about, we've Carly and I were like going back and forth. We're like, what should episode one be about? And we were like, I think we need to tell the story. How did this begin? We're going to tell the story. There's so much story to tell. And I have to be honest with you. I've waited 12 years, 12 years to actually tell like the truthful story. Yeah. I don't honestly, I think you can count on, I don't even think my fiance the true story. <laughs> the I true story has some um, deets that we've left out over the years. Yeah. I think some painful details, not to get somber on episode one, but uh, sometimes in our lives that I think we've tried to kind of erase. Um, but I think the reason it was prompted this week to kind of tell the real story and, and the reason we are calling this episode how it all began, dot, 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 the real story <laughs> is because I think this history kind of still trails with us. Like we work and I work and live in the town I grew up in. And I think, you know, it will, the history of the story will never go away. But I also think it's what makes the story of our businesses that we run so amazing. I agree. And I honestly think people knowing the truth and us kind of being open and honest about it will make people understand like why we are the way that we are. Yeah, totally. Um, because a lot of people I think like ask like, where did you learn these things or how do you know these things or et cetera. And I get a lot of questions about that, but I think I can attribute it to a lot of our history and our past and like what our parents taught us. I agree. And just to kind of get you guys all on the same page, I don't really know whoever's listening, what you know about me or what you know about Carly, but just to give you a quick rundown, like from the ending, and then we'll go back to the beginning. I'm the CEO of three different brands. Those brands are Parlor, We are a salon spa and portrait photography studio in 11,000 square foot space. All three of the brands are housed under one building in Framingham, Massachusetts. Um, And we have three large spaces inside of this building. And right above Parlor is our creative agency, Parlor Brand Studio, where we provide creative services for businesses small to global. Some of our clients are Reebok and Condé Nast. And then we also work with people like Kavita Kombucha, Glamour Magazine, Allure, and, you know, local small businesses as well. Um, We do graphic design, web design, photography, videography, and then we have Sleepy Tie. Drum roll, please, Rachel. Sleepy Tie, where we actually are right now. We're inside of the conference room. And we literally five minutes before we started made this set. <laughs> and here we are. So we have three businesses. And Carly is the chief of operations of all of those businesses. Coup. All right. So now that you know a little bit about how this works, um, basically, Carly and I are like, you know, yin to each other's yang. In a lot of ways, I'm, I'm a motion that with logic that follows. And I would say your logic with emotion that follows for sure, but we really complement each other. And I think we've done a really good job of working as sisters and family. And I think we have a lot to share to help other people kind of in whether you own your own business or you're just trying to be better in your professional life. I think we have a lot to share to help. And I think it's been a long time of like learning as you go and faking it till you make it. And it's just like, here we are. I think I live by fake it till you make it. My entire career is based <laughs> off of fake it till you Plus make it. Plus a like dash of overconfidence from mom for uh, sure. Overconfidence <laughs> is one of the core issues of my life. <laughs> like truthfully. All right. So how did it all begin? Let's start with the people who birthed us. Well, the mother who birthed us. Yes. So we come from this really kind of interesting grouping of humans that made us Andrea and Jerry Rubin, Jerome. Andrea is like this Buddha, if you will. Yes. We call him Buddha sometimes. He's Andrea is our mom and she is like this hurricane of a personality. When she enters the room, she is just like, she takes the space. She is loud. She is unfiltered. She is real. Honestly, she's probably one of the most unique people you'll ever meet in your life. Um, and she is incredible. 
Yeah, and um, has no filter. I mentioned. Yeah. But like in a good way, but also sometimes we're like, shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up. 100%. Shut the fuck up. Um, And our dad is this like business-minded entrepreneur who is very serious. He's not like into like socializing or having friends. His life (laughs) is very driven by self-care And he, you know, he studied under a Taoist priest and he is the kind of man when we're on vacation, you can find him at 4am on the beach doing Tai Chi and meditating. And he's like very straight, straight laced man doesn't even eat ice cream sundaes. Yeah. And it's like, you had to kind of like choose your ice cream before you went into the store kind of man. Yep. Like you weren't able to like stand outside the store and be like, "Mm, am I going to get sprinkles? Am I going to get M&M? Laser focused. Yeah. He wanted us to be laser focused, but our mom is like, just get five flavors and like, it's fine. Yeah. We'll all have like a little taste of each flavor or maybe (laughs) sample them all. Yeah. We're just going (laughs) to sample them all. So I think it's important because I think we kind of come from that environment we were bred in. I'm the oldest of five kids. You are the second, second in line, honey. Second in Always line. coming second in line. Second I'm in line. Um, no, I mean like, yeah, you're second in line. Yeah. I made mom a mom. Yeah, except like I'm prettier, funnier, yeah. smarter. Yeah. Like in my head. Yeah. <laughs> you're, see, you're a bitch. Um, so basically we have five kids in our family and we have a very close bond with our siblings. I love them. They... The I think have shaped us. I think we, you know, helped raise them. I used to joke that I'm actually Michael's mom and I don't think he likes that joke. Um, we also have a very handicapped brother named Jake. He is in a wheelchair and he is not able to, as our mom likes to say, walk, walk talk, talk sit, feed himself, stand, sit, stand, stand, like literally can't do anything <laughs> for himself, but he's become very much so part of our life in accepting all that he is and loving him for exactly as he is without wanting to change him. I think he has shaped us in our perspective on a day-to-day basis of appreciation and gratitude. Absolutely. Waking up and being able to walk or see fully or feed yourself is not something I think we ever take for granted. I think on top of that, it just shows how strong our parents really are. Totally. Um, because they have basically a child. Like throughout their entire baby. life, uh, yeah, he's, have, he's in diapers. Yeah, he's in diapers. Um, and my mom and my dad are so strong and always put him first, no matter what. So it's incredible to it's watch. It's incredible to watch. They, our parents, have always been in the flooring business. Our grandfather owned a company called Newton Floorcraft, and then our dad turned it into only flooring, and it had like so many showrooms, and was like a really, really large business that had like a warehouse, seven, I think, seven showrooms. And our mom was, was like huge the sales person extraordinaire. They owned it together. And I think, you know, that's definitely a part of our history. I remember we would go there all the time and like play in the rugs, hide and go seek. I literally will never forget playing in those rugs and also the smell going into Blockbuster and picking which candy we were getting because yep. it was right next to a Blockbuster. Yep. Shout it out was, to Blockbuster. Yeah. Shout out. Honestly, the best times of my life, like the fun dip. <laughs> I loved the fun dip. You know what? I'm not a fun dip girl and you always I loved the fun dip. I loved the stick. I'd be like, Rachel, like tell dad we want candy. No, we would just steal, we would steal money from the register. A hundred percent. And just buy as much candy as we could and hide in the rugs and eat all the candy. Yeah. And it was funny to see like a family dynamic work together because we always knew. Yeah. That was something we were used to. And I think our parents did it well. Um, what was funny too is like our parents always gave us trust. Like we were allowed to be on the phones for from a customer service perspective. I was allowed to answer the phones whenever I wanted. Our opinions also were always listened to. Yep. Like dad would always take us completely seriously when we'd be like, so we, true. we like this rug for this so person. True. I think one thing to note about our childhood too is like when we were punished, when we were little, like <laughs> punishments we had to do were like, go to your room and write on a piece of paper, do what you say, say what you mean 50 times and then when you're done bring us that paper and like that's the end of your punishment or another one we would have to do often if like we couldn't focus on homework or whatnot would be like staring at a candle flame yeah our dad was big on meditation is big on meditation and I definitely think that's why I am um but yeah, that's a gene you got I, I got the gene Rachel got the gene <laughs> and um I will and here. she did not yeah Andrew Rubin and I shout out to Andrew Rubin do no, I've made mom gene. meditate with me and she'll, she'll do it. 
But anyways, like that was our life. So yeah, here we are. You know, I think a lot of people thought we grew up really wealthy and I would say we were well off. Definitely. I don't think like we were hurting for anything, but I definitely think we maybe people, we were comfortable, but I think it not as wealthy as people maybe thought in our town. Um, That's an important part of the story, which I'll kind of get to later in terms of like how people sort of think this business came to life. But that's definitely something people think all the time. You say entrepreneur, you say own your own business. Yeah. People think dollar sign, dollar sign. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like that's just not the case ever. (laughs) Like literally I'm still hustling for the dollar always. Um, In high school, I loved giving people makeovers. Honestly, it like got me high. I mean, that's a weird thing to say, like from high school, but like it, I did. No, you loved it. I you were loved prom. makeovers. You were literally like number one booked for prom. I and knew didn't that even I didn't do the service. I also was like not attractive. Um, I had braces and like I was called like I people called me snaggletooth. Like I had a tooth growing out of my nose, um, like right here, and it just like wasn't good. Um, so what do like people call you now, um, glorious, glamorous pageant queen. Like CEO extraordinaire beauty. Agreed. Yeah, thank you. I still have a snaggle tooth. Um, <laughs> so basically I loved makeovers. I always knew I wanted to have a makeover business, but I really wasn't attractive. So I think for me, no, all jokes aside, makeup was a tool. Absolutely. To feel better, to like make myself feel good about myself. And, and you were good at it. Thank you. You were really good at it. Thank you. So she like, did my prom makeup. I did. I did all your friends too. All my friends. Um, in 2006, um, a pivotal year in the story of, of this timeline, our dad's showroom that was on route nine in Framingham. And this is the part we have never talked about publicly had a fire. Dad went in on a, I think it was a Saturday and he went into the showroom and he was doing some work. I think the business was, you know, like the economy was headed towards a recession. I think his business had gotten very big very quickly. And I think there were some people who were not so great to him in inside of his company. Definitely some toxic people. Yeah. And I think um, the company wasn't in the best position. And so on this day, he was like doing some work on a Saturday, hustling as always. And I believe he was out of toilet paper. I believe this is how the story story the story goes. I mean, it all, starts with toilet paper. All because of the toilet he paper. He needed some toilet paper. He went to CVS. And when he came back, he found that the building that he was working in and that he had his company in was on fire. There was a sh- the bo- the basement, there was a small box and in that concrete basement there was a fire that was lit. It was very small. It didn't cause a crazy amount of damage, but it was It was there. So he immediately calls the fire department. The fire department comes. They put out the fire. And on Monday, he reopened the business. So this is one point you definitely need to take note of because this is a part of the story where it takes a bit of an awful turn later on. Um, But just note that this happened and like the cause of the fire was never really determined. I don't think my dad really cared. No one ever thought anything of it. Yeah. He was just like, carry on. Yeah. We just carried on with our day and get back to business. Absolutely. Let's just keep it moving. Basically in 2007, the economy was getting worse. Um, I was working at a nursing home. I loved when you worked there, honestly. I loved the nursing home. Actually, I would say that I'm going to probably make every single one of my children and highly recommend recommend to anyone listening that your first child's job be at a nursing home. I literally saw what the end of life looked like at the start of my life. And I learned so much about gratitude and like why you should sit up straight and like <laughs> specifically on why you should posture. Sit up um, That's actually true though. Cause Rachel is constantly telling people to sit up straight. Well, so cause I'm funny. scarred by the humpbacks that I saw. But anyways, I was working in a nursing home and in 2007, I remember our parents had told us that they had to shut their doors to the business and that we were also losing our house, our cars, um, everything we owned. And that devastating. it was awful. I mean, it was terrible. So like this life that everyone kind of like had formulated in their head of like, this is what I think the Rubens are or aren't or whatever. I think reputationally speaking, just like in general, we weren't. (laughs) And it was tough. I mean, I think for our parents, it was hard. And for us, it was hard. I think too, like people like talking about perception, like people thought of us some type of way. And I remember like, I felt weird around people. Like the vibes were kind of off. Judged. Yeah, I felt judged. And Framingham wasn't like small, but it was 
small with the people that you yeah everybody knew yeah. something um so essentially the business closed we had to move I think a lot of disruptions happened I had I think towards the end of that year committed to Hofstra business school I got into business management and I really it was my dream to go to New York I was my dream to be like in that area and I got into the university studies program, which was for people who had like bad grades. I had terrible grades. <laughs> I was like a CB student. Same. Um, that just, I think that's a statistic, by the way. Like a lot of entrepreneurs were like C students. What is a GPA? I don't know. <laughs> like, did I even take the SATs? I don't think what so. What does anyone do with their GPA? I can't do math. <laughs> um, <laughs> in the middle of all of this in the back end, one thing to take note of is that there was like an investigation happening on our dad on how the fire started. Again, we didn't think anything of that. Our family is very like hardworking. We don't do anything wrong. Like I said, my dad doesn't even eat an ice cream sundae. We weren't allowed to swear. Like he doesn't even have really like friends. He we just weren't allowed so much. to watch Family Guy. We weren't allowed to watch stupid TV as he would call it. We weren't allowed to watch all that. Like when we say straight, remember? I love all that. I know. Like I feel all like all that. That's definitely not the song. What's the song? Keenan and Kelly weren't allowed to watch. I feel like when my friends were like cool in college too, like, and they would like quote all these things, I couldn't. Me too. Thank you for understanding because that. Because like I, I wasn't allowed that. to watch it. It's kind of fucked up. I think point being is like our dad is a stand-up man. He is a stand-up man. Um, but there was an investigation to like why the fire started. But I think at this time there wasn't, un it wasn't clear like if there was rumors like that our dad like was, there was, I remember there's, there was this one report that this guy was saying like that the fire department had pinned the fire on our dad. And I remember my mom being so mad, being like, why would you ever publish that? That is the weirdest thing we've ever seen in our life. Yeah. Anyways, money was tough. I had committed to a private college with no grants or anything like that or scholarships. You're in high school. High school now, yeah. Yep, you're in high school. Um, and I, we're living in a new house and I'm sort of kind of like, love you family, but like I'm off on my college journey. Like take care. love you so much. Bye, bye, bye. As you should. I have braces and I'm going to school and I'm a virgin and it's time to uh, explore life. You and know, I'm going to befriend the prettiest people in the entire yeah. world. You are like cooler than me in the <laughs> sexual department. I was definitely a loser. Excuse me. I'm sorry. We need to give the people what they want. They want to know that? The scoop. I was not cool. <laughs> not cool. Okay. Anyways. So I go to school and I have like a 1997 sob I'm in New York. I was that our mammies? It was mammy. She mammy gifted it our to grandma. me for a dollar. And um, money was tough. I um, was always struggling in college, and so I knew I needed to get a job. None of my friends like needed to get a job, but I was like that girl. I was like, you know, I'm gonna have one. It's fine. I was not in a sorority, but I had an amazing group of friends who was like so hot, so beautiful, and the best humans on the planet. Agreed, honestly. Still my best friends. Um, I think they're even your friends now. And um, they still support me, still love me, and I think are a big part of my career. But essentially, um, I had this awesome group of friends living in the dorm, definitely constantly remembered having to go to financial aid to like reinstate my meal plan or do this, do that. But 2008 to 2009, I would say was pretty much, you know, just like a drunken shit show, like at the Long Island bars. Like I was a normal college student for a little it? while. Dizzies? Dizzies, nachos, McKeebs. It was like a lineup of bars that you could get into when you were 17. Um, I went there one night with yeah. you. Mom and I came and visited. That was so fun. It's so fun. I'd shout out to Dizzies and McKeebs. Like <laughs> all my Long Island people just know those were the drunkest nights of your life. But essentially, um, in I had to work as a makeup artist um, or I didn't know I was going to be a makeup artist. I saw a job on Craigslist at this local salon called Maximus and they were looking for a makeup artist and I fake it till you make it. I showed up with like literally the weirdest little makeup kit ever. And I was like, I'm a makeup artist. And they were like, you're hired. And I thought it was so cool because this was the salon that Lindsay Lohan went to in Long Island. That's hilarious. I know. So I pull up in like my rickety shaky sob and I'm like, hi, I'm your makeup artist. Wait, can you tell everyone what the name of Hans. your sob? Okay, perfect. Hans. Um, so I also got a job at Victoria's Secret and um, in the Roosevelt Field Mall. And I loved that job. I, they wanted me to be a manager, but they also always yelled at me for making a mess. <laughs> Can you Messy imagine it? makeup artist. I was a hurricane of a makeup artist. So the journey started with makeup. Um, I remember being called to the front of class, being like, you need to go to financial services or like not being it's able to worst. like, and I knew things were tough at home. Yeah. Were you feeling that? When in college? Yeah. Like when, no, when you were in high school and like I was in college, like, were you feeling like financial oh, strain? I was definitely feeling that. Yeah. In 2010. Um, I'm now a junior. A lot happens this year. 
take note. Here we go. The start of the journey. Like this is where like the whole story happens actually. Like everything, all the shit's about to hit a fan. So our dad has like an investigation against him for arson, which is the weirdest thing in the entire world. They're like claiming he lit a box of documents on fire to collect insurance money. He never collected that insurance money. It's all like a bunch of bullshit. We're basically ignoring it. My we're parents, like laughing. We're like laughing, we're like at, laughing it. at it. At our the parents table. are like doing, you know, jobs again. Like every, we don't like think anything of that. But anyways, that's happening in the back end. I'm at school. I'm a junior. And basically the night in the blizzard. I pick up my camera for the first time ever this night. My We're in a blizzard, stuck in C-square in my dorm at Hofstra, and I'm locked in with my friends, Katie and Nicole. We had these American apparel leotards. I had my my makeup kit for Maximus. And then my friend Charlie, who like I had the biggest crush on, but like my friend Nicole was, you know, wanting to date I mean, my roommate. He was hot. Yeah, he, he is, is hot. hot. He is hot. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Charlie. We love you. Um, but he he was a video major and he had his camera in the dorm. So I was like, give me your camera. And I decided to throw my friends in the blizzard with, I did their makeup, their hair, and I took their photos. And then I put the photos that night on Facebook. People, the crowd went wild. The people went lost it. The people loved these photos. But especially the Long Island people. My Long Island people. Like I was meant to live in Long, Long Island. Long Island. Long Island. They were like, do that for me. Do that for me. Do that for me. I'm like, sure. 800 bucks, 600 bucks, 500 bucks. Like don't know what I'm doing, but we're going to do it. And because I was broke. I was broke as a joke and I needed money. So what did I do? Broke as a joke, but good at it. I was good at it. Yeah, no, literally so Thank good. You. Me and mom would look at them and be like, what is she doing? I would go to Target <laughs> and get like sheets and pin them to a wall and then stick chiclets to someone's face, my friend Jill, and take pictures Favorite in the photo dorm. Shoot from literally- Candy on the, the face. That's the best photo shoot. Candy on the face. And the one of Courtney. I love the one of Courtney. I would always vote. My friend Courtney was, my, my best friend Courtney, who is still my best friend, was like my muse at the time. And she would just like get in front of my camera. And it was the first time ever I could see like, the artwork come to life because she was such a great canvas. Beautiful. She was like, she is like undiscovered, I think, celebrity style beauty. Like Courtney just is that beautiful. I feel like it's discovered for us. I've discovered her. Yeah. I feel like she's We discovered. created Courtney. We did not. Her mom created Courtney. Well, I mean, yeah. Karen's beautiful too. Anyways, I start shooting. And basically what I did was I went to my friends who had a frat house and I was still in the dorm and I was like, hey, you have a house with a basement. I have a proposition. I was like, let me rent this for $200 a month. I'm going to have a, a studio out of your basement. And I was cranking. I started getting clients I didn't know from all, all around Long Island. Um, and then I remember, I don't know if you remember this. We weren't like crazy close at this time. You were like off in high school and I was, you know, in college. So I feel like we had some distance between us. I saw a girl sitting front row at a fashion show on Facebook and I was like, who is that girl? Like, she is so cool. She was wearing a green mini dress, thigh high black boots, like above her time in, in fashion and like a black headband. And I'm like, I need to know her. You No, I know you loved her. You um, dragged me to some of those photo shoots and helped made me clean oh, the basement. A hundred percent. Yeah. We did some boudoirs together. Really weird things. And like, I just came for the weekend yep. and I was like your assistant. Yep. I was mm -hmm. always your assistant. I always had my siblings as my assistant. Always. So basically I was, I went this girl, I messaged this girl on Facebook and she was like, send me an email. Her name is Alexa Winter. She was a celebrity stylist in New York City. And she, I sent her a message and I was like, hey, like, what do you do? And like, can I be a part of it somehow? Like, I'm this, I'm a photographer. I'm a makeup artist. Like, it's what I do. Here's my portfolio. So funny. She answered you. She answered me right away. And she was like, come to Soho tomorrow. I love her. And I'm like, where's Soho? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't even know. Where's Soho? So like, I skip school. And I was like, I said to my friends, I'm like, I'm going to this place in my sub. If I don't come back, this is where I'm going. They probably were like, what's wrong with you? You are so weird. Yeah, no, definitely so weird. And so I go to Soho. I find it. I find her apartment. I walk in. Soho's sick. And I'm like, surrounded by Buddha's tie decor, red paint, tulle curtains, bedazzled shoes on the wall designer stuff everywhere. And she's like, hi, I'm Alexa. And I'm like, you are the coolest person I've <laughs> literally ever seen in my life. Like I need to know. She's like, I'm looking for an intern. And I'm like, I'm your girl. 
Absolutely. Like, Sign me up. Don't eat. I'm the brokest girl you'll ever meet in your life. I don't know what that even means. I literally can barely eat. So I just eat Ting Ho down the street every night for dinner. It, Please tell us what that is. Chinese food restaurant. Oh, from in Long Island. Rangu. Yeah. And so, yeah, she was like, but it's daytime. And I'm like, but I'm in school. She's like, it's daytime. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So what did I do? I don't know. I went home and I <laughs> drove all the way home the next day. And I said to mom and dad, I sat them down. I was like, listen, you guys just closed your business. I know you guys are struggling financially right now. I know you're getting back on your feet. I want to own a business and I've started this like little career. And this girl wants to take me under her wing in the fashion industry. And I think I should pause and drop out of school, focus on the business I've created and you guys get back on your feet and when you you are and you're financially good and can support me and help me and then I'll go back to school. That was honestly really nice of you. Thank you. I'm a doll. <laughs> it, I mean, it's hard. I mean, not everybody at that age can. It was hard. Can, I won't lie. Can handle that. It still kind of makes me like almost tear just because like I had the best friends in the world still have them, but like they were so carefree, you know, and it was painful. You didn't get to feel that. Yeah, they were, you know, getting drunk and were allowed to be hung over all day and like didn't have jobs and like that's I'm not saying anything against them. Like they're all super successful and do wonderfully. In college now. does that. Yeah, yeah, like it's just that I feel like I couldn't have that, but I also felt like it was time to be responsible. Yeah, um, and that's okay. Like obviously, hi, here we are. Like, like grateful for what we have, but still like hard. Yeah, we should take a moment for that. Let's take RIP a, to a that moment, moment of a moment of silence. One, two. Anyways, I am okay. Where was I? Sat down, dad and mom. Yeah, so I sat them down. You were the hero. They, I'm the hero. They said, okay. Our grandparents said, absolutely not. You are not dropping out of college. I made the executive decision. I did it. Who said that? Uh, I think Nana and Papa primarily did not want me to do that, which I understand. I, I don't judge that at all. I mean, I get why you would want me to stay in college. I just didn't know that that was a thing. Yeah, no, a lot of people did not agree with that decision, but you know, we did it. And I was like, I can go back. So I'm like, okay, you guys get back on your feet and I go to work with Alexa. So Alexa throws me in immediately, immediately. She's like, I hate your shoes. We're going to the Prada store. I love, this is my favorite story. She takes me to the Prada store, makes me buy new flats. And literally we go to a little cafe after I step in a pile of bleach and my new Prada flats and was so broke after I bought them. I pretended like I could afford them. This was not a paid internship. So I had to pay my way into the city. Makes me sad. I know. And then in the afternoons, I worked at Maximus and Victoria's Secret every other day. And then at night I did photo shoots. And then after I would take an Adderall and go out with my friends. <laughs> Best of both worlds. Yeah, it was, this was the life I was living. And um, I actually was dating Mike at this time. That's crazy. I know, it's crazy. That's for another time. Um, well, no, I mean, it's like also for this time. He's no, like I'm a part of the story. No, I'm saying like how we yeah. start dating. Yeah, he's an angel. So um, I'm working with Alexa. I'm working in all these places. I'm sacrificing. I'm dating Michael Stifter. I freaking love him. He's like the, an angel on earth. And I'm watching my friends live this life, but I'm still a part of it. So like, it's okay. You know, like all is well, I'm doing these shoots. Like Alexa's throwing me into New York fashion week. I like worked a fashion week presentation in front of Vogue when I was 19, like doing makeup. And I remember like literally pooping my pants. You can't get an experience like that. Yeah, so, no. I, I mean, had worked with like a VG's girlfriend at the time and like photographed her. Like she really gave me, I think a firsthand experience to everything. It's funny. I mean, you went against... No, I'm not surprised, but what the normal was. It was amazing. It was a, it was an incredible education. Two weeks in to my internship, um, I was being put on a test by Alexa. She didn't like that I couldn't get around the city. She was like, you can't be like my intern or my assistant if you don't know the streets of New York. And I was like mortified when she said that, but she put me on this quest. To I would cry fully. I was so scared because it's I, scary. It's scary. I didn't know where to go. And so she was like, you need to get from point A to point B to point C and meet me at this time at this restaurant. It was Mercer Kitchen, the place I always Literally, take you to. Literally, that's the only restaurant I've been to in I, New York City. It has meaning to me. You love Mercer I Kitchen. I love Mercer Kitchen. I think it's chic, okay? Mercer Kitchen, sponsor us. We love you. <laughs> um, and mom calls. And she says, sit down wherever you are. I hate, oh, I 
That's when she does that. Like a phobia of calls now. Yeah, it's not. It's a no for me, Doug. And she's like, go sit down. I knew that there was something happening with dad that day, like a trial, but I, mom and dad kind of positioned it to me like, you don't need to come home. So I'm sitting there in Soho. I'm looking at my destination. I had completed on time and mom says, we don't know what happened. We don't understand what's going on. Um, I can't give you information because I have no idea what just happened, but dad just got sentenced to two years in prison for arson. I'm sorry. I didn't say anything. I, honestly, it still hits me to this day the same it did yeah. when I found that out. Yeah. I passed out on the streets of Soho and woke up in a, um, I think like 10 of my friends knew before me, which yeah, like they was, did that to me too, which I was like, can you not tell my friends that? Yeah, it was tough. And then I just, I remember like that is like from that moment on, I was like, my life is over fully. It was tough. It was not something I think we were used to. We come from a really good family. Our dad was 100% innocent, is 100% innocent. We knew that. We knew him so well. We knew the hardworking man he was. And I think... Um, and there was weird things that went on. In the trial. Yeah. It was sketchy. It I was think. really sketchy. And arson, typically, when you're found guilty, is way longer. So it was just... He was sentenced Very to odd. two years in prison, and we had to digest that. And they said to me, he's going to prison the next day. I didn't even have time to get home. Um, I remember mom said that she like brought the boys who our brothers were like really young at the time. And like, they had to t break the news to them and like, say goodbye to daddy. Like she always says. And I think everyone well, was, I was crying. Yeah. And no, it was a really awful time. I was there and I watched dad take his shoelaces off. I know you said that before. And I remember it. I remember what shoes he was wearing. I remember everything. He took his shoelaces off and gave them to mom. And I was like, why are you doing that? Yeah. And he was like trying to explain because He's so sweet Couldn't and take he the just, shoelaces. it was really awful. And then, yeah. Yeah. Then it got bumpy. Yeah. Um, so basically I remember Mike picked me up from the Long Island railroad and I remember texting him being like, bring Xanax. And I, we went to PF Chang's and I had a lot of Chinese food on a lot of Xanax. It's a lot of trends of Chinese food in your life. I like Chinese food. I feel like that's the third time you've brought up Chinese food. I like Chinese food. Me too. Um, so anyways, he goes to jail the next day. Prison. He told me that's what the proper name is. Um, I don't think I knew how dangerous prison could be. I don't think I knew our dad was in danger. Um, and I, I actually couldn't watch like shows or movies I couldn't either. I was around it. And like, even now to this day, if I do watch a movie or show around prison, I I'm just not well. Yeah. I don't think he likes to watch it either. Um, anyways, the, I think the only way I could describe the feeling I had at that point was numbness. You know, like I just dropped out of college. I am working for a random woman who I love, but you know, it's life feels a bit unstable. I don't have money. I don't have a I was support going system to college. Yeah. You were on your way yeah. to college, but I stayed home for that year. Yeah. You stayed home for a year. And I think that was like out of sacrifice, but also like, you know, not being a good student. Yeah. You keep saying that, but, um, <laughs> we will, we will definitely, we will definitely talk to Andrea Rubin who can defend me on this matter. And that is for another time. I think the next part of the story that was hard was like, I went to work with Alexa every day and it was like coasting and numbness and like raw. But I think what was hard was trying to picture what my dad's life was like in prison. Um, he was thrown in solitary confinement for two weeks. We weren't able to talk to him. So he was in a room by himself for two weeks. Um, an innocent man in jail uh, being Sickening. punished in that way. Um, my mom had no form of income and had four kids at home with a handicapped child. I was roaming around New York like an aimless psychopath with yep. a camera and um I think reputationally speaking where it got hard is like I had friends who looked at me and they were like innocent men don't go to jail and um I think judgments judgments and anger made it I think even harder we were angry scared and nervous and I think people were judgmental and I think they were I think that they, I understand. I like the compassion that mom has for the situation. Cause like I would have probably judged people in the past. Like if somebody was convicted of a crime, I probably in the past would have been like, they're guilty. Like they're guilty. Like the judgments that would come from that. Like you just make assumptions. Right. I think that the legal system is flawed. Yeah. And I think it's like, not everyone's privy to this type of information right. or like 
perception is everything. Like this doesn't happen to you. You don't really know. And like, you feel this sense of meeting people and you're like, well, he's innocent. Well, he's innocent. You know that he's innocent. And like, you want to defend. Yeah. And like, I'm, it's just like in my nature and my blood anyways, just because like how loyal we are as people. Yeah. And I'm like, anybody who doesn't believe he is like, don't even look at me because I lost a lot of friends because of that. And to this day, like, I still feel that way. My friend, Nicole Campana, when I told her, she looked at me and she was hysterically crying and she said, how could they send an innocent man to jail? And I was like, I have the chill saying that because I, and I could cry because I'm just like, you know, you don't really know him, but I know you're not judging and I know you believe me. And it was like so hard to like have people believe you and like to believe him. And I think to this day, it's still hard, you know, but, um, but just at our age too, like, we were old enough to like have friends that were like friends for life yeah. or, and like to explain it to them. It just like was so weird. It's awkward. Yeah. It was really awkward. And we were so young. Mom was on food stamps. Mom was on food stamps. I was I, on food stamps. It was my prom. It was my senior year. Mm-hmm. So mom was so cute. Always wanted to get me whatever she could. She would that, mow the lawn. She would mow the lawn. I loved her. Did everything by I herself. Her. Um, about seven months went by. Dad was in jail. I remember like I would, wait by my phone for his calls and his letters. I loved the letters. The letters were so sad, but so great. And well, I was there the first time we visited him in jail. Yeah. In prison. And, um, it was me, mom, Jesse, Michael. Yeah. And we were on the bus and we were going to the bus to see him. And like, Je- I hate this story. I hate the story too, but Jesse kills me every single time because I started crying hysterically. Yeah. And it's, you can't touch, you can't so touch you see them. your dad. Behind glass, a glass wall, and you're like, skinny. He was skinny. He was so skinny. And if you know my dad, you know he's very routine. So, like, he needs specific foods. He was jacked, super healthy. It just was such an odd feeling to like see your dad every day, wake up every day, have him help you tie your shoes. And you could tell he was in pain. He was, and he's never like that. No, he, and I would say that he like made the best of it. Like, you could tell he was meditating and working out and stuff, but you could tell that he was definitely a role model to people in there. But, you know. Life went on. We, we all just, I think that's the point. Like life went on, right? Like the story is like you make it work, you know, like when it becomes your worst nightmare, you shut the fuck up and you go and you work harder. You don't sit in a shell, like with your eyes shut and like cry and like not make it happen. I think that's what mom showed us that you just like carry the fuck on like in day to day, moment by moment. And I think that's looping back to the point of like, literally he made the best of it. Yeah. She made the best 100%. of it. And we were like, don't sit here and cry. Make the best of your, yeah. of your life. And you carry get, on. You can't get this year back. Yeah. You can't get this two years back. Yep. So we're going to keep on rolling. Carry on. And we did. About seven months goes by and dad calls me and he's like, hey, Rach, um, like from jail, you know, it's like, hi, would you like to accept this call from this inmate? And I'm like, what the fuck? 25 cents. 20, yeah. It's like ridiculous. So I'm like, okay, hi, daddy. He's like. I got to talk to you, Rach. I hate when he says that too. And he's like, you need to move home. And I was like in New York City every day. I loved my internship. I loved my friends. I loved my house in Long Island. I loved my boyfriend in Long Island. I loved my life in New York. And I was never moving back to Framingham. I was never moving back. And he was like, and I I hung up on him. in jail call and he called back and he was like Rachie listen to me he was like mommy's alone you're the oldest they need help and you need to go help them and I was like okay and so Mike got a Penske truck he packed up my studio and we go to Boston and pack up my house I cry I leave my friends I'm like I'll be back in six months and I go home And just to kind of speed this up a little bit, essentially my mom built me a garage studio so that I could keep doing the work. And, um, I saved every single dollar that I made and lived at home. And I was sleep. I slept with my mom every single night and to keep her company in bed. And we visited my dad and, um, remember when dad didn't have a visitor and Mike went to visit him. That is like, I could cry just hearing that. I know like him getting on that bus. Like I just have a vision of it. And well, that just goes to show like how many people believed in us. He didn't even know us. Yeah. He didn't know us at the time. 
So essentially kind of carrying on, I had gone from like these really freaky photo shoots to now I'm in Framingham, Massachusetts. And I like have to learn how to do kind of like clean work, like clean makeup, clean headshots, clean senior portraits, senior portraits. And I was like working out of my basement and my mom hated it. She's like, stop inviting these people to the house. But (laughs) I like, I was working at Victoria's Secret at the time. And I also really, I was working seven days a week as a makeup artist. I was doing hair. I was doing photography. I was doing proms. I was doing fashion shows. I was going back and forth to New York. I was a little bit of everywhere, but like, I guess you could call this phase of my life, like hustle until you drop. Like, And the only thing I cared about was building and working. And I believed in myself so much. Like I didn't matter if other people didn't, I would go to like these little like show, what is it called? Like a vendor, like expos or whatever expos. And I would sit by myself with a booth of like little candy and like a sign and be like, hire me like to take your pictures. I'll take your family portraits and do your makeup hair photography. And I was that girl. Everyone knew me as that girl. Honestly, It's amazing. It's wild. It's wild. 2011, dad gets out of jail. Well, yeah, he got out a year early on parole. Yeah, he got out a year early. That was some good news. We went to Uno's after. He was, um, I'll never forget all of us in the car kind of fighting. Like we were all really tense when dad was getting out and um, we waited for him to come to the car and he got in the car and I thought we were going to like be like joyous and he was like drive. And I remember being like, whoa, like he seems like not himself. And he was like, drive now. And we were like, okay. And we drove and he was like so happy to be with us. But I think, you know, you can't deny that he, this man just lost a year of his life with his family. He's innocent. And he had to get through that mentally. Forget about your judgments. Forget about what you thought of us. This man just sat in prison for a year by himself. And I think, um, awful. Anyways, remember immediately dad was exonerated. It was wild, <laughs> like, like literally exonerated. They picked up it. They picked up the project and they were like, yeah, the let's innocent, we're the, gonna, the, the innocent, innocent project. project contacted our dad right after he got out of jail. And, um, because there was no, was no like, evidence. There, there was, was no nothing evidence. To go it was of. very odd. And his um, name was cleared almost like, I think a, maybe like a year after he that had was amazing. Out. It was, I think just really beautiful for and our we family. deserved that. We did. Yeah, we deserved that. And, you know, I think life started to feel like a little bit more healed and um, we were getting back to normal for sure. Definitely. And I had like this business that was created and I was like kind of like working for myself and doing all these things. Dad looked at me one day and was like, is this a hobby or a career? Yeah, that was what he, he kind of called you out. Yeah. And he was like, like, are you going to keep doing this or like, are you going to like make a career of this? And he was like, there's this building down the street that I want you to go look at. There's a small little studio space and I think you should go. That's the only thing I wish I was there for, like that I wasn't there for. (laughs) You weren't there. And I, he he was like, it's in the Saxonville Mill building. And I was like, absolutely never. I will (laughs) never work from that building. Well, because this building was like the creepy building next to our high school. It was not foot traffic. It was weird. It was decrepit. And I'm huffing and puffing thinking I'm like Miss New York City. And he's like, let me just show you this space always pushing me, always showing me the way laser focus, like take a leap career or hobby, like telling me that I need to make a business of this, believing in me. So dad showed me the space and I opened up to a 12,000 square foot space. That was a photographer named Heath Robbins. And I remember thinking to myself, Oh my God, this looks like photography studios I had seen in New York city. What if I became known as bringing New York city to, to Framingham, New York city to Boston genius. What if I did that? And the light went off and I went into this 300 square foot space and I had a section for makeup and hair. I had a section for clothing. I had a section for photography and I had started this little business. And, um, at the time I was working with, um, vows bridal outlet, remember? And I would go there and photograph their wedding dresses in the basement and I needed a model. And so I had hired this girl I had found online named Leland McAllister and I'm like, she is so beautiful. Like this girl needs to be the my prettiest model. girl I've ever met in my entire life. <laughs> like I'm obsessed with her. She has the best energy. So Leland's working with me in this basement and we, you know, I'm photographing her and she's also my assistant and she's also like helping with me with makeup and hair and like does everything with me. And, um, she works with me. She was like, I don't really want to model anymore. Do you want me to work with you? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Just like knowing her now. That is so funny. I know. I'm like, yeah. And, um, she basically like 
said, okay, like, let's do this. I believe in you. Like, I believe in what you're doing. And like, I believe in the concept of makeup hair photography. Let's do it. So basically I opened up a 300 square foot space. Then I opened up a 2,500 square foot space in 2014. I called that beauty parlor and RLR Studio Inc. Basically it was the first place ever that you could come to where you could get a blowout, a spray tan or eyelash extensions. We were a licensed salon and then get in front of the camera. So we called it beauty finishing services before your photo shoot. Honestly, it was genius. It worked. (laughs) RIP to beauty parlor though. I loved beauty parlor. I honestly loved beauty parlor. Seriously, just let's take a second to shout out to the people who like came to beauty parlor. Literally. Thank you. Since day one. Thank you so much. Thank you. We love you. Leland and I were hustling. We built the space by ourselves. And um, I think people really were starting to take note of what we were. Absolutely. Loved us. Then we went to Italy. Yeah, it was a dream. You were studying abroad. You had met your love of your life. Yep, I met the love of my life and I told my mom and my sister. And I was like, I'm going to marry him. She told us and we were like, he doesn't really say much. And I was like, we're opposites. (laughs) (laughs) And then he ended up being the most incredible human on the planet ever. Um, But yeah, I thought you guys weren't going to come because there was like, Something that happened in Paris or something. And I was like, they're not going to come. And then they came. It was like the best day of my life ever. And that's when I asked you. Yeah. So like we, I took them around Florence. We had the best time. And I was obviously my senior year. So I think it was my, um, it was first semester senior year. So I was obviously going to graduate the next semester. And you were like, I have a serious business. Like I have, it's really serious. Like, and you were telling me all about it. And then obviously I was graduating and it was always my dream to, you know, be operational or something in the back end yeah. or run communications something. or, um, or management. And it just seemed like fate. You were like, you should work for me. Like you were like, you were bringing up the idea and then we would like be like, no. And then we were, bring, I think we were toying yeah, we, with it. it. Was, we were like, you would bring up the day and you were like, you know, never mind, never mind, never mind. And I we, think that it was a risky decision. It wasn't a decision to be made lightly. It was a decision that would, you know, change the rest of our us. lives. Well, we also didn't want to affect our relationship as sisters and we didn't want to affect our relationship. You know, it, it, I think it was, it could have caused a lot of harm. Yeah. And our personalities are what they are. And I think it worked out here. We are. Yeah. We're here podcast. Um, but anyways, you accepted. I definitely accepted. Milan was working with us. We had, I think, six employees at the time. And Rachel was hardcore. There was no messing around. Like no. you, it, I think when I came back from Italy and it was my last semester senior year, I had to come home every weekend, read 10 books. And I had to be ready to go Saturday morning to open the salon. So, yep. and I, I also did not take it lightly. I, I would, we were always working. I think stop and shop was my first job. And like, it was, it was crazy, but we were always working and I took it very seriously. I think that um, looking back, it was one of the best decisions we ever made in our careers. But I think basically like where you guys can understand this story stands right now is I bootstrapped every second of this company. And we'll talk about that in later episodes, what that means. But essentially a quick rundown is every dollar I made, I put back into the business. I built this company off my back. A lot of people, when they would look at my story, they would think, oh, she has rich parents. They gave her money rich relatives. This was handed to her. This was handed to her. She has privilege. Um, I started this company on food stamps and I carried on, you know, like I was, this is a story of perseverance. This is a story of hard work and persistence for us and our parents, for everybody that's involved in the story. And honestly, any, there's a lot of people involved in the story. And I think that's like a common theme in entrepreneurship is like, you just can't do big things alone ever. The people that are beside you are the most important. Well, I think that's really speaks to to this podcast. And I think it speaks to like why we're doing this together because it's like, I think a lot of the times I'm in the spotlight and I think a lot of the times people are like, woe is her or like you're doing great. And they think to themselves like, what a wonderful, World. What a wonderful girl. Um, what a wonderful girl. <laughs> um, but the truth is like, I'm nothing without my team and I'm nowhere. But I think one thing we'll talk about in later episodes too, is like the building of that team. Like I made a lot of mistakes in beauty parlor and RLR studio. Like there, I didn't know how to hire. I didn't know how to fire again, fake it till you make it. I did everything as I went along. Didn't know, learned yeah, we as were, I went along. We were definitely starting from a base level of knowledge and we yes. were, 
hustling and finding the knowledge. It was a work hard game. Absolutely. It was never like, let's just wait and see what happens. Yeah. It was go get it. Yeah. Be hungry. Just every day. Try show harder. Up. Show up. And I think so just like where we stood there is like we had created a client base. Me, you and Leland were hustling like crazy. We were working with business owners. I was shooting. I was the only photographer at the time. Um, I'm the makeup artist. Um, I'm the business owner. I'm, you know, like a visionary. We I, all wore so many hats. We all still do. Yeah. We all wore, were everything. Like we were everything to ever. I once worked the front desk. Like, and everyone was happy to do so. Yeah. I think, well, that's, those are the lifers. Those yeah. are the, anyone who in my life has been down to do whatever it takes at any given point and not even ask questions is the people that I know will be with me till the grave. Absolutely. It's those, that's the definition of a lifer. But essentially what happened at this point in time is we were working weddings. We were doing every job we possibly could. I remember there was one day where Leland and I went to this other part of the building in the Saxonville mill and we were going to do this boot camp, this workout. And I remember we were doing slam balls and we were throwing these big balls to the ground. And I looked at big balls to the ground. I knew you were going to say that. I literally <laughs> knew you were going to say it. Help it. And Leland, I looked at Leland and I was like, I think we need to be careful with the floor in this space. And she was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> That what? is so weird. And I, it was like 5 a.m. and we were working out and I was like, honestly, I think this might be our space one day. She was like, Rachel, it's 11,000 square feet. We don't need this space. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know. But so I called the landlord, Miss Impulsive here. And I was like, Charlotte, this space. I'm like, if this space ever becomes available, if and when I'd like to be the first to know if that's okay. She was like, it's becoming available. That's crazy, honestly. <laughs> I know. Well, if you don't speak up, you don't get what you want. So I- Another lesson. Yeah. And so I was like, Charlotte, could you give me two years? This was 2016 to build and prepare. And she was like, honestly, yeah, we have to build an elevator anyway. So you can take two years. And this is when I said to myself, this is the step. This is a big step. We're already known as the the gem, the, the hidden gem, the New York City of Framingham, we had become a salon. We had become known for services, but I was like, we can do this better. Shout out to the elevator. Shout out to the elevator. Remember when we were on the elevator, the cargo elevator? Yeah, we used to literally have to manual. People don't know about this building. Like we literally, there's so many tenants now. There's like a hundred tenants and they're like, ooh, to do, to do. Like I have fought and loved this building, but fought for this building for 10 years now. And um, how the tides have turned. Yeah, it's just a wild, wild thing. But essentially- Signed the lease in 2016 for Parler. I remember that photo. Yep. That was a good photo. It was a nice photo. Signed the lease. And I said to myself two things. I was like, one, we're going to get a coach for me and Carly so that we can run this business like a corporation, like a CEO and COO should. I want to get us the education we need. I want every book. I want every mentor. I want everything we can do to carry forward intelligently. And number two, I said, I'm not going to ever be that business owner that's going to be stressed or not have time for myself. And I got a meditation coach, a, a yoga coach, Andrew Tanner. And I worked with him weekly and we did the weirdest, coolest <laughs> shit. He taught me breath work. He taught me yoga. He taught me aerial yoga. He taught me about Ram Dass. He taught me about being peaceful. And, you know, my coach taught me about corporate and things I didn't get to learn in college. And it was crazy. It was a whirlwind. It was a lot. But I love every second of it. Yeah. I mean, we learned and soaked in. I think what's beautiful about today's world is you can learn whatever you want. Knowledge is at your fingertips. And I think we really applied that. Like I am a self-taught photographer. The way I taught myself was by getting a book. I have read every book you can read, but also I have fucked up in every way you can fuck up on shoots in real life with hiring, firing, like opening things, construction, fights with me and you. And like, we're okay with that. We've learned from it all. Absolutely. In 2018. Nothing in life ever comes easy. No, no, no. It has never come easy for us. In 2018, we opened Parlor. One name, one concept, 11,000 square feet, the world's most unique beauty and photography destination. I had a vision for it. You implemented my vision with me. I knew I could not do it without you. We love Parlor. And we opened Parlor. And it was nothing short of a dream. Still is. That business that started 
in a frat house basement in my dorm room on food stamps with no camera, with a makeup kit that came from CVS, became an 11,000 square foot salon. And I knew at that time that I needed to give up certain parts. I've, my story is comprised of giving up certain passions or things along the way in order to be able to run a business. My passion has always been running a company, not just, you know, doing a service. And I, not that I ever put that down, but you have to sort of choose, you know, and we'll talk about that again in later episodes. But for me, it was about operations. Absolutely. And nothing in that business came from anybody else. That was complete bootstrapping the entire time. Yeah. And I'll explain how I did that. Um, but essentially we opened our doors after we opened our doors, we won best of Boston. We got crazy notoriety for being an incredible salon, best place to work, best place to work. We had built the team. We had like, I think 20 employees at that time we were young. I was, I think 24 when we opened that business in 2018. Am I, I think you might've been 26 and I might've been 24. I was 26. You were 24. Yeah. I was just making myself seem younger like cooler, but no, I was 26. You'll always be 26 to me. Thank you. Um, so we opened, we had immediate success. And I think what happened was after like a year is everyone was like, how did you brand the business like that? And they're like, I want a business that is branded like that. Like I want to have that graphic design, website design, photography, videography, like show me the way. And we really were already doing that. So we were already doing those services. I've been working with brands since I was in New York city. And so a year later, we opened up the creative agency, Parlor Brand Studio, which had a different name at the time. We'll talk about that later. That's a story for another time. Another time. And we opened up a space right above Parlor, and we were like, we can do this for your business. And basically the concept was makeovers. We can make over you. We can make over your business. We were aesthetic queens. We had the ability to make anything look amazing, but it wasn't just about how something looked for us. It was about how something felt. Feels. And I think we, we were authentic to that, you know? Yeah. We care a lot about the way clients come into this place, whether Experience. it be parlor brand studio or parlor and feel some type of way. And our employees. Absolutely. And then we opened the agency in 2019. Dun, 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 2020. Pandemic. <laughs> and you've made it. And, and we're going to kick you off. down. We're going to kick you. Let's kick you to the ground kick you again. again, ma'am. We're going to just, we're going down. So the businesses were closed. Global pandemic. Our grandmother dies of COVID. Um, shit's hitting the fan. Our grandma was actually the first person in the area to die of COVID. And I'm sitting there doing blowouts on myself at home. I had been so spoiled for my hairstylist doing my hair and like not caring if my blow dries get fucked up or ruined. And I'm at home doing it myself and it's so time consuming. And I'm like, this visionary brain needs to create something. I'm like, there has to be a better way to sleep with your hair so that it doesn't get screwed up while you sleep. Like I wake up with a rat's nest after I went to bed with like gorgeous, luxurious Rapunzel Literally locks. every time. It's a nightmare. So I make a prototype of a product sleepy tie. I make 15 of them. She literally (laughs) hand sewed. I taught myself how to sew, made a sleepy tie. That first prototype is still the prototype we use today. And Rachel and I talk every day. Like I'll call her 20 times a day. And there was like this one time, obviously we were all bored during the pandemic. She's not answering her phone. (laughs) And I'm like calling Mike being like, what is she doing? And then she calls he, me. He was so confused. She with what calls I was me doing. late that night. She's like, "Yeah, so I sewed this thing <laughs> and I slept with it. I sent like four of them out to my friends and like one to you." And I'm like, "Rachel, I love you." And then they all started using them. And then they were like, "It works." And then she invented. And then something. I was like, "What should we call it?" And then we were like, "Sleepy Bun." I own like sleepybun.com. Like Sleepy I own all blow. these things. Oh yeah, I think Sleepy Blow was a thing. Um, and then we ended up <laughs> Sleepy Blow. And then we were like, shit, this is sounding sexual. I patented the product, called it Sleepy Tie, realized it worked. We went live. That business went viral on TikTok with over 200 million views to and this day. And continues to. And we created a third business. And then after we had come back from the pandemic, there had been three businesses that had been started. We opened up a warehouse. Um, so there are now, we have now have a total of almost 20,000 square feet under one building. We are running a very large company with 35 employees. 
that are successful. Our dad has been exonerated. Our family has reopened their business and are thriving and successful and have, I would say, really come out of that reputational space where like they were scared, but they are back in business. My parents are doing the same thing they were doing a long time ago, but bigger and better and better. We have survived. We have thrived. We have persevered. Um, and we love each other as a family and we work together and we're here. We are very resilient. And now here we are talking to you, launching a podcast, telling you the story. Stay tuned for what's next. (laughs) I think what you guys can expect in the upcoming episodes and like the way that this will go down, we feel like we sort of needed to lay out the the truth for you and be honest if we're going to, we're going to call you guys our mobsters, M-O-B, mobsters. If we're going to have like a crew of people, it's important to me that we have authenticity with you. Absolutely. It's important that we give to you. Um, But I don't think I can do that without telling you our whole story. Yep. And it's a big part of who we are and how we give. And also, I think it's important that people know that innocent people do go to jail, do go to prison. Like, go Kim Kardashian. I love you for what you're doing. Because, like, I really believe that, like, I can also be an advocate and help that community in terms of, like, having a voice or having an audience. Like, that happens. (laughs) We're, like, a cute little Jewish family with five kids and a handicapped brother in you know, Framingham, Massachusetts, and it happened to us. And don't judge anyone. Don't judge. You have no idea. And also, success can come from it. You can thrive. So this, the things we're going to talk about in this podcast are going to be business-based, family-based, lessons, how to per- persevere in your professional life, how to get through hard times, anxiety, meditation. I know that that is something a lot of people want to know from me. I'm big on meditation and balance, and I'm not a business owner that's like, you know, miserable. Um, but also success, how to be more successful, how to follow your passion. Absolutely. And I will be right by her side doing it. We're always by each other's side. So we're excited. I truly just thank anyone who has supported me and Carly and our family to this date. Anyone who never judged us along the way, who believed in the concept. Thank you. Um, thank you for being here to listen to this story and for caring. Um, and we love you. Thank you for all the support. Yeah. It's just And we're excited. We're excited. This is the start of a new journey. Let's go. Let's fucking go. Goodbye. Episode one, over and out.